Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, we get to hear from Vicki Stauber of Sway Into It. And I'm so excited for this conversation because I have been wearing Vicki's jewelry for years. It was gifted to me some time ago by a dear friend. And we finally made a connection all these years later. And she gets to tell us her story. And Vicki, you don't know this, but we are twinning in the gin arena. I read that you love a gin martini. Is that true? Oh, yes, I do. With a strong preference for Monkey 47 gin. Yes. I actually know Monkey 47. It was gifted to me. But I'm a gin, soda, lime gal. Not tonic. It's got to be soda. Same. Isn't that funny? (laughs) All right. Well, that's just the beginning of all, all the things I'm sure we'll have in common. First of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for spending this time with us. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about Sway. It's interesting, the story of Sway and Sway Intuit, to not spend too much time right now on the backstory, I started a jewelry line in 2001 after I left corporate America, you know, 13, 14 years in corporate America. And um, I was on vacation with my family and I found some stones and I was sourcing vintage kind of components and put it together and people started buying things off my neck. And I was also working on my MBA at the Kellogg School at Northwestern at the same time. So I invested a little bit in tools and some materials and I thought, you know what, I'll just give this a go. I also happened to have a class on transformative leadership with taught by Oprah that semester. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, she was wearing a piece on the show. I was in the health club. I was on the treadmill and I look up and she's wearing it on the show. Oh my gosh. So I leaned into it after I, I had had a second baby and I really leaned into it and pursued wholesaling to retail. So I got a bunch of retail stockists all around the country, and I did have a website. Shuttered that in 2014 because I was 
I had an opportunity to work in luxury retail as a creative director and a buyer and do some things that I had dreamt of all my life, go to Paris, go to New York on buying trips. I bought Gucci, I bought Saint Laurent, I bought, you know, Alexander McQueen. It was just a dream. And I brought my MBA skills to that role. I did that for a while. I also worked at Northwestern in admissions for a while. But during the pandemic, I lost a job that I had loved in luxury retail. And my mom was also dying of cancer, which was really horrible. But I turned back to designing and back to the jewelry as sort of a therapy. After a while, I reached back out to some of my stockists and said, would you want to get back in this? And they were like, don't say things you don't mean. You know, they were super excited. And what I realized is this time around with Sway Jewelry, I wanted it to be an umbrella endeavor that encompassed all the other things I was doing, like creating content about what I'm into, sort of related mostly to fashion and accessories, but like, and sometimes ideas and people. I had been doing personal styling. I had done some retail consulting for our mutual friend. And I wanted it to be all about that with the jewelry as one leg. I, I launched it, you know, in 2001, but I relaunched it as a, a bit of a different iteration in 2021. Thanks for that background. First, what led you to leaving your corporate career to go and pursue your MBA? And then we'll get into the jewelry part of it. I fell into something that I think a lot of people, my vintage, if you will, fell into. I graduated from college in 1987. I had always been interested in fashion and design, but I did very well academically. And I got a lot of societal messages and messages from people in my life that fashion and design was frivolous. And, you know, that's not a good use of, it's kind of a waste of academic talents or whatever. So I listened to that. Unfortunately, it was the last time I did. But I I worked at a great company after I graduated from undergrad. I worked at, a, at Inland Steel. I worked in industrial marketing and strategy. And I fell into this thing of, I'm really good at it, but I don't really love it. And so I wanted to keep evolving. And that's something that has been kind of a guiding principle of my career all the way through is stay open to things that you never thought you'd be doing. But if they align with your curiosity and they align with your values, be open to it. And if you don't have butterflies in your stomach, like, can I really pull this off? Don't do it. I love that. <laughs> there we go, ladies. There's the podcast right there in a nutshell. No, that's fantastic. And I think anybody can hear that message. You know, someone in college, someone in their 20s and 30s. But I think it's a, it's a message that's really important in this particular stage of life because similar to you, Many of us said yes to the thing we ought to do and not the thing that we wanted to do or that we were passionate about or that we were curious about, to use your own words. When you moved out of that, and by the way, you're, it sounds like you're acknowledging, I learned a lot in that process. That was not for naught, right? I learned so much and I brought that into not only my MBA, but into the work I'm doing as a business owner and the work that I did in another corporate environment when you went back to fashion. So you're getting your MBA at Kellogg. I mean, that's no joke. How does it feel to be in a cohort of people that are probably looking at jobs in high-level marketing, finance, things like that, and to then say, I'm going to make jewelry. What was that process like? Because my guess is that was a really hard decision too. You had built up the muscle to say, I'm going to do things my way because mm -hmm. you had already said yes to the other way. How did you come to grips with that? And I have to ask this question, how old were you when that was all happening? I was an unconventional um, student at Kellogg. 
I started the program doing it part-time at night while I was working full-time. I had one baby. Then I took a leave of absence. I had another baby. I took my finals early that semester. My son was born. Then I finished in the full-time program where I was 34 and the bulk of the students were 27. They thought I was the coolest thing ever. They were like, we want to be like you. Like they just couldn't imagine my life. My daughter walked across the stage with me at my graduation where Oprah was the commencement address. And my husband is in the stands holding a sign that says, way to go, mom, holding an infant. I look back at that and I think, Gosh darn it. I mean, I I can't believe I did all of that at the same time. And I had been working full time doing something else, but you know, but because I was more experienced and a bit older, and I had had two babies and I had gone through how that changes your priorities, it didn't mean that my professional life became unimportant to me, but it taught me things about how to balance and how to come in and out of focus, you know, where I needed to, how to get the support that I needed so that I could do everything that I wanted to do and to really believe that the best example I could give my kids was to show them someone doing fearlessly exactly what she wanted to do. So I actually didn't have a ton of discomfort around it. My husband and I, we paid $100,000 for my MBA, and I was not going back to my more lucrative corporate life. But I really felt like it was a experience in evolution. It was a challenge that when I met it and I saw what I could do and I, you know, it gave me a lot of confidence or additional confidence in myself. And it was something that nobody could ever take away from me. So I knew that whatever I did going forward, it was always going to be worth it, 100%. I love that perspective. I think it's an important one that many of us who feel like we've wasted time, whatever that's on, could learn from your example, right? That whatever it is, whether it's a job we stayed in too long, whether it's a degree that we pursued that we're no longer using, whatever it is, I think we can learn from what you just said that no one can take that away from you. And the benefit of that, of taking whatever that learning was into the next stage of life uh, is priceless. And we can't, you know, we can't construct life going backward. We construct it going forward, but we can learn so much um, and we bring so much with us along that journey. Hence the name Liberty Road. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Tell us now about the jewelry piece of it. So you're on vacation with your family. You're seeing these beautiful vintage pieces and stones and you decide this is for me. Now, mind you, at that point, you had worked in the steel industry, you had an MBA, you hadn't dabbled in fashion yet, right? Correct. This was the first time out of the gate. Yeah. So I approached it. I was having fun. I was trusting my eye. Um, I had always been, you know, known among my friends and those who love me like, oh, you make, you know, you make putting fashion together look so easy and whatever. And so I just trusted my eye. And I remember taking my son, I think, to preschool. It was the very first piece I made, which, by the way, I still have. I don't wear it, but I still have it in a box. And they wanted to buy it off my body. So that kept happening. And so, as I was mentioning before, I said to my husband, I'm like, I think I want to invest a few thousand dollars in some materials. I am not a metalsmith, so I'll make that clear. I'm a designer and I do some handwork, but I taught myself everything. Funny anecdote, in the beginning, I had some pieces that I had to learn how to hand knot with silk, you know, like with a strand of pearls, you think about that. It's a very specific process. There's, you know, all these things you have to know about. And I remember I walked into Neiman Marcus to the jewelry department 
And I was like, could I see that piece? And I wasn't looking at it because I wanted to buy it. I was looking at it because there was a particular material that goes around the silk at the clasp called French wire. And I had to figure out what it was and where I could source it. So I spent a lot of years building up sources. I have a supplier named Violet who's in Thailand who I've never met. I, I hope someday to meet her. She kind of works with me in Thailand and talks to different factories to source one of the components for my most popular piece, which you have a couple of, Netta. Yes. But those rings come from Thailand. And as I change the specs on them, she's like sourced them from new places for me. But at one point in Sway, I lost the source for those. And I was like, what in the world? And I tried calling all over the U.S. to try to find, okay, maybe somebody who makes snaps could, you know, retool to make these, and it, and it never worked out. But I taught myself everything. I taught myself how to wire wrap. I taught myself, you know, how to design for wax mold and then find suppliers that could make my visions come to life. And that's a constant process. I'm always doing that. And I realized at one point, I really, the volume was getting too much that I needed some help. And I was like, I don't know how to find this person. Do I look at um, one of the art schools in Chicago to see if someone wants to intern? But then I had had heard a few stories about people doing that. And then the intern, like basically stole their styles and ran with their own business, which is too bad. But my friend said, my old nanny, my old babysitter, a uh, Ukrainian woman who had two little boys, you know, she was really good with her hands and she braided my daughter's hair all the time and her name was Roxanne. And I met with her and I taught her everything. And I kept her employed 35 hours a week. She wanted to work at home when she could find the time. I didn't want her to work in my office with me because I was doing other stuff. And I just had some great um, serendipity happen. Finding suppliers, teaching myself how to do some of the handwork, then teaching someone else. And then she was able to go on doing her own designs. I sadly have lost track of her especially when the war broke out, I tried to reach her and I, I have mm. not been able to. But, you know, the right people came into my life at the right times. Do I believe that's because I was really open? Yes, I do. Do I believe it's because that's the energy I was putting out was I have a problem to solve? You know, tell everyone what you're looking for. Anyone you know, it came through an unusual source. But it's a business I have to source um, what I want, but be mindful of price points, the price points I'm in. I sell a lot of pieces versus making completely high-end fine jewelry where each piece is $5,000. I'm sort of in a $100 to $1,200 price range. And I make sure I stay in that lane because I've figured out that's where I do the best. It's always been, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And that doesn't mean that I haven't had the help of other people, of reps, but I had to figure out how to find those people and what to do. And it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. And, you know, the fact that you said you remain open, I think, is key. But also you kept working. You kept at it. You weren't waiting for it to fall in your lap. And I think it's a combination of those things. Often when we hear people saying, I stayed open and the universe gave me X, Y, and Z, what they don't say, the other part of that is, and I was working my ass off and mm -hmm. I was looking for things and I was telling people I was looking and someone would not have said, my nanny is available had you not said, I'm looking for somebody. The other thing you said that I think was really key is that you looked for somebody you could trust. You didn't look for the talent. You taught her. And I think there's something... Um, really wise about that. You could have hired somebody who had the talent and things may have gone well, but instead you looked for who can I trust? This is somebody I'm going to employ. This is somebody I'm going to share my, really my secrets with, right? Right. 
They're going to be intimately involved in my design and perhaps even some of the sourcing pieces. And I think there's some real wisdom that we can glean from that. How do we find people that we can trust to come alongside us and then do the training or the teaching or help them go get the training and teaching that they need if it's not something we can do? On your website, you say, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, but you say no straight line career story here. There's a real acknowledgement of this windy road. And it's something that we hear in the podcast over and over and over again. And it's probably for two reasons. One, that's the reality of somebody who's in midlife looking back, right? They're connecting the zigzaggy dots to where they are. And it's almost never a straight line. There's something else that I think happens that we don't give credit for, and it's we evolve. We are not the same person. Tell me how you have experienced that evolution in yourself. We know the story post-MBA and starting Sway, but even within Sway, how have you experienced some of that zigzag? And you told us that, you know, you shut the doors one time, went into a uh, high-end opportunity, fashion opportunity that you couldn't miss, and then you came back. Tell us about how your own personal evolution led you to say yes and no to those things. When I look back, it's surprising to me the pretty disparate venues with which I could apply the skills I have and the things I like to do. So I'm always looking at that intersection at every point in my life. What am I good at and what do I like to do? Does this meet that? I want to give that a go. When I shuttered my business the first time and went into the retail, it was because I heard that the creative director at this place was leaving and I was a customer there. And I literally said out loud to my tailor, who was in my bedroom with me, and I said, oh, I, I should go for that. Where did that come from? You know, I come back to when you were talking about, you know, manifestation is one thing, but doing the work. Doing. You know, if I had a dime for every lovely woman my age who said, you know, I'd really like to do something, but I'm not willing to work more than five hours a week. And, and I'm like, if that was the case, everybody would be fulfilled. It takes some commitment and it takes some dedication. It doesn't mean you have to do something that doesn't feel right. And that doesn't mean you can't figure it out in a way that, but you have to, you have to just take a step. And so that impulse just struck me. What in the world just came out of my mouth? I was having a successful business. I was in the Four Seasons gift shops all around the country and the world. I had all these retail accounts. Oprah was wearing my jewelry. I was getting press in Women's Wear Daily. I should do that. And I think it was because I must have felt that the skills I had accumulated. So going back to that love of fashion and style when I was a younger person that never really left, I thought, oh my gosh, this is work that I can do that I always dreamt about doing. Now my, my preparation has met opportunity, right? Mm. And because I honestly was so shocked that that came out of my mouth and I thought, Where's that from? And that wasn't the only time in my career, you know, that, that that happened. I moved from working in corporate from a steel company to a market research company. And I was like, why am I thinking about that? And I was like, there's something about understanding consumer behavior and advertising testing and messaging that respond, that people respond to. So I completely convinced this company to hire me where I had no experience in a managerial role. I mean, they had never done that before. <laughs> it seems as though listening to my inner voice and understanding when the, the things that I've learned and the skills that I've gained and the wisdom that I've gained, when it met an opportunity, it just 
clicked inside of me. So I know that we talked about also when I left that first retail job, I went and worked at Kellogg in admissions. And then I ended up talking to the dean's chief of staff and I ended up doing a project on why women drop out of the workforce who are highly educated and have invested all this money and time and why they don't network more with each other. She did a whole white paper on it. That work I had the skills for, but it fed a different need and it appeared to me as an opportunity so clearly destined for me because of my curiosity and my interests and the experiences I had teaching Roxanne, you know, helping other women. Again, it's just, if you sort of have your radar out, you know what the skills you have, you feel comfortable and your curiosity just makes you go, yeah, you might think I can only do this or I'm only good at this or I can only take my skills and my interest and apply it in this one narrow lane. There's so many arenas you can get into, in my view, that this is not unique to me, I don't think. I think what's unique for me is that I actually followed it rather than trying to stay in one lane because that's what I thought was right. Yeah, I agree. You gave yourself the freedom to zig and zag to respond to what you were curious about what you had always wanted to do to sort of actualize those things. And you didn't limit yourself by saying, well, that's not my professional lane. You were free to sort of move about the cabin, if you will. And I think Generation Z and millennials really have that right. I think they really understand. And it's a function of the economy and technology and a lot of things that we didn't have in the same way. But they understand how to take advantage of opportunities that present themselves. They're also living in a world where technology is moving so quickly that they have to be nimble in how they take whatever skill set it is and move it into another arena. And sometimes those arenas will look wildly different. But you, my dear, were able to do that in a cohort of people, in a demographic of people that don't normally or haven't normally thought of pivoting in those ways. And I think that's what's so great about your story and really one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast. Let's just dig in really quickly, if you don't mind, to the white papers, because I'm so curious. And you and I had a chat about this earlier as you were helping to, you know, do the research and create this white paper. What were some of the findings that you were surprised to learn? I mean, you're a woman who had been in corporate America and, and had been an entrepreneur. So you have experienced those things firsthand. Anything you were surprised to learn or we might be surprised to learn? There were some things that we were completely unsurprised to learn, especially in finance. When women reach a certain place in their career, if they decide they want to have families, the work structure in finance and really in most of corporate America isn't designed for people who also want to, you know, balance having a family. It's really designed for people who, if they're a couple, one person's going to, you know, shoulder the bulk mm. of the child care or arranging the child care or whatever. And the other person's just going to fly unfettered. What was a little surprising was the more we talked to people and we did a lot of interviewing, this whole thing started. So the dean at the time was uh, Sally Blount. And if your readers want to, they can search for this white paper by Dean Blount. I interviewed some incredibly high-powered women. We interviewed students. We interviewed other alumni. And we ended up realizing that women coming right out of their MBA back into work life had a different set of needs and need for different sorts of support that they needed. Women in their mid-career had a certain set of needs and support that they needed. And women who were reaching for C-suite and board roles had another set of support and preparation that they needed. So it wasn't like a women in business. It was very segmented. And, you know, the women coming directly out of school, they needed 
to be matched up with Kellogg alumni who were still in the workforce who could help them navigate some of these things. Women in mid-career had to network better with each other. They were at their overwhelmed wits end. They didn't have another minute in their life to network with their fellow Kellogg, you know, graduates. But it turns out it would have minimized some of the pain in the other areas of their life if they had done that. But we understood like, wow, okay. You're like, I don't have any bandwidth to participate in any kind of networking, whether it's one-on-one or or groups or whatever. Um, And women in very senior roles, there were things that Kellogg was doing to prepare them to be on boards and they created their own network and supported each other. And it was always the organizing principle, I guess we would say of what we learned. And some of those things, the the segmentation was a bit of a surprise, not a, wow, this is, you know, like, but we never thought of it. We never thought of it. The Dean was at a women's fortune 100, whatever conference. And there were I think five Kellogg graduates there that were in C-suite roles in New York. They had never met each other. They had never spoken to each other. And we were like, what's wrong with this picture? We're all out there struggling by ourselves when there's power in connecting and learning from each other of how to navigate this. So we ended up proscribing so for women first coming out of MBA, you know, what does this look like? And also, quite honestly, talking to corporate America about the brain drain, how in the world do you tolerate losing this talent because you're not willing to restructure anything about your business? These are not women who are saying, I'm not going to work my ass off. They are. But... Can I, you know, on Tuesday morning, I need to flex on some small thing. It was just FaceTime was important. I think the pandemic changed a lot of that. But that's what was important before. So that's what I would say is we have different needs for support at different phases in our life. And certainly some women don't have children, but they still in their mid-career find roadblocks. So how do we use each other and open our eyes to the benefit of that? Yeah, we're seeing that a lot in products that are coming out. I think some advertising agencies that are focusing on midlife products and services, some actual companies who are led, founded and led by females who are focusing on, let's just take menopause, for example. It's a new day, whether you read the New York Times article or the um, Wall Street Journal article about the need. The need's always been there, but it's just women are finally saying, okay, if, if this isn't going to be done for us, we're going to do it, which I love. We should be doing it for ourselves. We know the pain points more than anybody else. And what else is happening is what you just said. They're talking to each other. There is more and more of a collaborative energy around these things. I've even seen competing brands talking to each other and sort of saying, you know, you go left, I'll go right. Like there's room enough for all of us here. Let's just make sure we're serving our audience. And with regard to the segmenting, I think that's something I personally started to see. It's the reason we decided that Liberty Road needed to exist. There was a lot coming out on menopause. There was a lot coming out on wellness and wellness in midlife. You know, we're more than hormones, very important, something we need to address, but we're more than hormones. How do we think about this season of life when many of us are feeling either aged out or our curiosities are taking us in a different direction and we don't really know where to start. And maybe there's a technology divide there that we can easily fill. We just have to be willing to. And hearing stories like yours are the things that I think inspire people to consider their own possibilities and figure out the steps to get there. They hear what you did 
all the way back to going to Neiman Marcus and asking to see that piece of jewelry so you can identify how was that not made or what was that material that was being used. It's the same way in in listening to other people unpack their own stories. So let's go back to Sway really quickly. And thank you for sharing that with us. And we'll find those white papers, listeners, and include a link to that in the show notes. So you go back to Sway after the pandemic shuts down the opportunity that you had been afforded in this luxury brand. And you reach out to people former boutique owners and people that were stockists for you. And you say, hey guys, if I get back into the game, are you into it? And they all say, absolutely. How is coming back to Sway different this time? What lessons did you learn that you said, I'm gonna do it this way, not that way. And what did you hang on to? Like that absolutely worked the first time. I'm not gonna abandon that. The first time around, I was really focused on increasing distribution and how big could I get and fielding, you know, do you want a meeting with Nordstrom? And then, you know, people would say, well, once you do that, they tell you what it's going to be priced at. And then you're making a million of, you know, the same thing is if that's what you want, great, you know, but if that's not what you want, but I had, I had been a little bit more focused on scale and really growing, growing, growing. And I grew by like a hundred percent year to year for 10 years. I mean, it was a lot for a little team. So this time around, I was like, that, that's not interesting to me. I want to do more one of a kind. I want to do more. I want to keep it smaller on purpose. That kind of, that kind of chase wasn't serving me this time. It didn't feel right. And in terms of my creative outlet, I didn't want to do volume. I wanted to do special. So instead of having 25 stores, you know, my goal would be to have 10 and do really well. And I mean, I'm telling you, this. I, a good friend of mine named Krista, she's had, she was a Kellogg grad as well. She's a little bit younger than me, not much, but a little we're great friends. Um, she's carried it for 20 years, like the whole whole first time. We sell a lot of jewelry together. It's a great thing. So I, I just need a few accounts like this great store in Chicago. And, you know, Lori was such a yeah. fan, mutual friend. And when she opened her store, those feel right to me. So I have clarity of knowing what serves me and what doesn't. I also, and I, I, I kind of have to say this, I recognize that I have the privilege of not being the primary breadwinner. But I'll tell you a little story. My husband um, started out in consulting and hated it and decided he wanted to go into business for himself. And he's a industrial real estate broker. So when he did that, he quit Accenture. Back in the day, it was Anderson Consulting. And I said, babe, I've got us. I've got the salary. I'll pay the bills. I'm the health insurance. And then later, he gave me that freedom. He said, don't worry about it. I've got us. You do what you want to do and don't worry about the money. So get yourself a partner if you can. (laughs) (laughs) you know, mutual support. So I just did want to mention that briefly, but it it allows me to do exactly what I want to do to say no to things that don't feel right, to learn new things that I don't have to worry about failing at. That's huge. I decided this time with the help of a platform, but I brought up my own website. I'm the photographer. I'm the web designer, I'm the editor, but I decided I want to give myself that challenge. I could have hired someone and my daughter helped me a bit. She did my logo and and some things, but I decided that was something I really wanted to do. And sometimes it took me probably a lot longer to figure it out than I would have been more efficient to hire someone. But that was something I wanted for me at this point in my life. I think I say on the website, talk about an old dog and new tricks. (laughs) I want to understand how the website works. I'm not coding or anything like that, but it's not easy to populate 
do all the photography. Obviously, with a product like mine, I have to have beautiful photography. I do my best. But yeah, so this time I just have clarity about what I really want out of it. Is that the advice that you would give a woman in midlife who wants to go beyond the five hours? I'm feeling a little out of the technology loop. I'm feeling a little out of the game. Maybe I've been in a corporate environment this whole time, and I'm not sure if you know I, I am an entrepreneur, if I have what it takes, let alone in midlife. Be very clear and honest with yourself about what you're good at and what you like to do. Where that intersects, make sure you're looking at every arena and every path, not the one you think. I have a very good friend who started a cookie company and she's doing great, but I don't know how, you know, she decided, I should ask her someday how she decided, you know, that's something she'd really enjoy. And she had probably always been good at it, but you have to be really honest with yourself. Not, well, I have a degree in blah, blah, and I used to do blah, blah, because if I tried to get back into marketing, being 14 years out doing this, it would have been no joke. I would have fallen flat on my face. No one would have wanted to hire me. It can be a completely and utterly demoralizing experience. I tell my 26-year-old daughter, ageism is no joke in the workforce. I learned that I can never work for anybody else again. That was a hard learned lesson. Hmm. And so if you're going to do your own thing, if you're going to have a startup, be an entrepreneur, be honest with yourself about what you like to do and what you're good at. And if in thinking about the intersection of those, if something comes up that you're like, well, that would seem so weird because I've never done that or I don't have any background in that, push that aside and take a step. Start talking to people who are in that space because that's where the magic happens. If you're, if you're not being honest with yourself, you're going to end up somewhere that doesn't feel right. Yeah. And sometimes that being honest with yourself, it's difficult, right? You know, I had to say, do I think I'm just waltzing back into consumer packaged goods marketing, being out for 15 years? Even at the level I left, you know, being a director, of, I'm like... That's not happening. And I saw people trying to do that and they were not being hired. So you have to say, wherever you find that intersection, if it doesn't seem important enough to you, what's going on? As long as you're clear, it's something you like to do and you have the skills, you're good at it. It doesn't really matter. You're going to find fulfillment, but you have to take some steps and not wait for someone to create the job that fits it for you. That's great advice. And I think even in figuring out what skill set you bring into something, not necessarily are you professionally groomed for that role, but what are your raw skill sets? I would say, taking your friend with the cookie company, for example, if you think, oh my gosh, I love to bake cookies, I think I'll start a cookie company, be clear that you may not be the baker. At the end of the day, you may be the person running the company at some point. So if the baking is what you want to hang on to, then find the person who can, you know, run the business. I think getting really, really clear about not just the general theme, but the day-to-day -day tasks and what you bring to the table. Thanks for that. I think that's really, really important for people to do and to you know, we talk about internally what's now and what's next. That's what we want to give women in this stage of life. And we're creating a whole membership around just that. How do you assess what's now, which is everything you've done to date, the things you, you know, pull it apart, hold it up to the light, decide what you want to take with you and what you want to leave behind. And then what's next? What do I do with these sort of disparate parts that I have in my hands? Like, how do I make sense of them? whether it's to start a nonprofit, to re-enter the workforce, or to start your own thing. I think 
those are important things that we need to spend intentional time doing. They don't just fall into our heads. We need to spend time unpacking them. Um, I've loved talking with you, Vicki. You've shared so many. I mean, I haven't ha- had to even ask any questions. Everything you're saying, I think, is important to the listener and what she's trying to figure out for herself. So both your own story, but the wisdom that you've shared. Thank you so much. But we're not letting go of you that quick. We've got our fast five. What's a daily practice that you do to keep yourself grounded? I would say movement, exercise, something that's kind of a mental health thing. But during the pandemic, I started meditating. It sounds very cliche, but it is something that I really rely on. And I'm a perfectionist. So I was like, am I doing it right? Whatever. And I finally learned how to do it with a teacher that I'm comfortable that however I'm doing it is the right way to do it. And it is shockingly um, grounding and shockingly, you learn a lot about yourself. Sure. And is this something you do every morning? Before I get out of bed, I kind of cheat. I know you're supposed to sit up and, you know, lengthen your spine. I do it laying in bed. You do it your way. (laughs) (laughs) What are you reading? Anything on that bedside table that you're, you're currently digging into? I'm reading a book called The Niger Wife. Um, it's fiction, and it was billed as very White Lotus, um, which I loved that series. It's not autobiographical. It's about women from all over the world that marry somehow through whatever at the university, marry Nigerian men and go live in Nigeria, in Lagos, and they connect. Um, they're called the Niger Wives. They're Americans, they're Asians, they're Africans, they're from Europe, um, but they have a little sort of support group. And then plus it's all the fun stuff of someone disappears and, you know, but it's uh, it's fun. It's a good read. Okay. We'll definitely connect that in the show notes. And what about this season of life are you sort of embracing and particularly enjoying? Just the clarity, the incremental everyday clarity of losing what's not meant for me and being open to what's meant for me. It's so liberating, whether it's ideas or actions or guilt or hurt or whatever, to just know like, wow, that's not serving me. So I don't care. Okay. Let it go. And also the flip side of that, which is something that I really love unapologetically doing what I love or thinking what I like, being with the people that most feed me. This season of life just brings such clarity around that. Mm. You know, sometimes we were talking about sort of the menopause companies and things like that. I follow a lot of uh, women in that space and um, they all say like, I really just don't give a F yeah. anymore about, yeah. you know, and it's so liberating letting go of other people's expectations. Is that the advice you'd give your daughter? I usually ask, what would you say to your 25 year old self? But I'm going to ask, what do you say to your daughter? Who's right in that season of yeah. she's embarking on all things new. What do you say to her about midlife? I've told her very specifically, she's a creative as well not surprising, but she's an art director. She's really creative. I mean, she's, she's way beyond what I do, but I've said to her, whatever zigs and zags you take, you know, in the way that you express that, whether you're a designer, literally, whether you're a art director, keep your foot in, keep growing in your professional skills. I took a step out And I kind of filled the gap with getting my MBA, but I stepped away from like, I had been doing marketing and strategy and stuff like that. I wish I would have kept a toe in it so that if I wanted to 15 years later, if it had been an option, um, I could have pursued something in my old field if that felt right. But I literally watched 15 years of experience get washed away because I stepped so far out of it. So for her, I've said a million times, no matter what, keep a toe in, keep networking, keep learning, keep educating yourself. 
And I listened to, in the very beginning of my career, society's expectation, that voice of that's not for you because it's not serious or whatever. Somebody else's idea of what I was going to do. And so always listen to your own voice. Trust yourself. Trust yourself. It's great advice at any age. And how has launching and relaunching Sway into it liberated you? It has made me feel like I, for the first time, even more so than the first iteration of Sway, I'm in the driver's seat of my life. There's no backseat driver that I'm paying attention to. I'm deciding what car I'm in, what road I'm choosing to be on. And I think in midlife, you lose all those peripheral things. And it really, you feel, I feel viscerally like this time around with Sway Into It, it's really authentically me and I'm in the driver's seat. What happens, it's on me. Things that fail, I don't care. I'll try the next thing, but it's all me. I'm in the driver's seat without any impediments. What a gift to feel realized in that way. Um, thank you for sharing your story with us, Vicki. I so appreciate your time. And again, I think all the wisdom in everything you said, there was a little nugget that we could take away. Thank you for that. My pleasure. It was so nice speaking with you, Netta. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys. Thanks for hanging out with Vicki. We'll have all the things she mentioned in the show notes, including links to how you can check out her beautiful jewelry. And thanks for hanging out with me too. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcast and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to move into your middle third with intention. Liberty Road is created by executive producer Netta Jones, supervising producer Elizabeth Windham, producer Julia Windham, and music by Jack Jones. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.